And here we go, folks. Our special guest today hails from Manhattan Beach, California. Mason O'Hanlon, a 22-year-old phenom lacrosse athlete that just graduated from Babson College and was also a standout at Loyola High School. His handle is Bronson, and he's known to his friends as Mr. Network. Thanks for carving out some time today for us, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I Quite appreciate that. What What was your day look like today? What, what did you get into? What did work look like? Work today wasn't anything too crazy. I got in last night from Palm Springs. I spent my Sunday with my grandmother on her 80th birthday. Drove in late last night. And I got in this morning at 7 a.m. and began doing some emails, reading up on today's news, becoming aware of what's happening in today's ever-evolving world. I'm sorry that you had to do that. <laughs> no, I love it. It's good to be informed about what's happening on the day-to-day -day basis. And then from there, I just got into my daily workflow. So back to Palm Springs, uh, apparently you golfed under 100, so that was a good day for you? Under 100 makes me smile. Anything over, I'll take it. Did you golf with your family? Did your grandmother golf, or you guys did something special on your own? No, I went with my uncle. My grandmother was not swinging the clubs that day. Did you beat your uncle? I actually did on the front nine. The back nine, we didn't keep track. Okay, so no betting. No betting involved. Okay. So as far as your current work situation, tell us about that. What do you do? Yeah, so I work at a venture capital fund called Marcy Venture Partners. It, we are a consumer-focused fund. Uh, we invest within different types of culture and positive impact values surrounding accessibility, sustainability, inclusivity, and empowerment. Um, the company is backed by Jay-Z and Jay Brown, two lifelong business partners, previously founding Rock Nation, and were previously viewed as the A-list investors of Los Angeles meaning that a bunch of really unique startups who had a concept and a team but needed more capital and a strategic backer behind it would approach them for capital. And after a while, they met up with the third partner, Larry Marcus, who's a legacy investor within Silicon Valley, doing the most traditional investments and being ultra successful. And together they formed their own fund, aka Marcy Venture Partners, which was the street that Jay-Z grew up with within the boroughs of Brooklyn. Well, how about that for entering the conversation with a deep-layered, shameless plug? Good on you, my friend. <laughs> so how on God's green earth did those superheroes pull in Mr. Network to join the operation and be part of the team? And what do you do there for these guys? Yeah, like everything in life, it's all about timing and luck. It was roughly around March of mid-pandemic, almost at the peak when people were hosting the Zoom happy hours just to get some sort of human interaction with one another. And at that time, I recently just left my former company that I founded when I was in school. We'll get to that in a moment. Go ahead. And I was looking to speak with other entrepreneurs and just surround myself with other like-minded individuals in hopes of finding another project 
let alone just meeting unique people that were similarly minded. And me and one of my friends who she started a few companies at UCLA Mm -hmm. pulled in eight of our closest friends in which that were all revolving around entrepreneurial like things. And on this call, we had a great happy hour. Everyone was talking about their ventures, the peaks and the valleys of the work they do. And towards the end of the conversation, I facilitated as how can we as a collective help each and every one of you in a sense of do you need help finding a new technical lead? Do you need access to money? Do you need access to some sort of guidance? And ultimately, one of the people that asked for advice as far as how to approach finding a new technical partner, and I connected with her and was able to allow her to meet some of my friends that were technically that had a technical history. And then from there on, she's like, how can I assist with you? And I mentioned that I wanted to get within the venture capital realm. And it's a saturated and competitive space in which that I thought I was underqualified for. But ultimately, she set me up with one of the partners at the fund to begin a trial run. And then at that trial run, I proven to do diligent work. And then they brought me on full time. Safe to say that was the best Zoom happy hour experience that you ever had. Fully. (laughs) When you were describing it, it didn't sound so exciting, and you made the most out of it and facilitated a win-win. You did something for somebody else, and that opened up an opportunity for you. Exactly. And I went into that whole meeting not trying to get anything from it, Mm -hmm. but just help help supporting people within the community. And tell us about your entry into your new company. Yeah, so I began last March and I worked the full almost 15 months as a student consultant while I was wrapping up my senior year of college and joined full time in June post-graduation. And the majority of my time is reviewing new companies within the consumer investment realm that I mentioned earlier and seeing if it is a viable investment opportunity for a fund. So for lay people out there that aren't in your field, just break it down and give us some color on what that looks like. Yeah, so we have companies that are either introduced to us from respective peers within our network, or they just simply cold email us. And from there, I they have a pitch deck, which is a PowerPoint with a company overview, what their company is, what problem they're solving, and essentially why they're better fit to be in the successful within the market than other competitors. And I review their product, get firsthand feedback from people who use the products, see how competitive the market landscape is, and what their financials typically look at when approaching this deal to see if I take that next step or not. Check, so it's a pretty important role that you're playing, and safe to say they're counting on you not to miss or let something slip by and you've got to be judicious with your time. So in your early processes, did you pull anything in that was of value to the company? What was that experience like? First couple rounds of of filtering and vetting these opportunities. Yeah, so there was a really cool company that came across our plate that fell within the realm of what I used to do when I had a company before as far as it was in the social networking space. And I had a really solid grasp on the area and 
because I spent the previous three years dedicating a majority of my life within college studying it. And it was immediately something that at first glance, people didn't think would make the most sense because they had zero financial mechanism. It was strictly acquiring users and they didn't see any value in as a financial standpoint within the company. But uh, after reviewing it more, I saw that there was an opportunity for this new space as the audio first sector in which this company would fill in. Outstanding. I can see why they call you Mr. Network now. So since you brought it up a couple times, let's back up the truck a little bit and go back in time four years and tell us about the company, what you can tell us about the company because of your NDA. What did it look like? What did you do? How did you birth this idea and, and give it life? Yeah, so Babson College for people unfamiliar with the school is a small little business school outside of the city of Boston that I got recruited to go to or else I would have never heard of it. And it's pride and joy is being an entrepreneur first college. So serial entrepreneurs such as Arthur Blank from Home Depot, Jamie Siminoff from Ring, and therefore came from the school. So it became a pretty core idea of something that was encompassed in students. And right when I stepped on foot on college, I was surrounded by people 18 years old from all around the country and the world starting companies, which previously was a foreign concept to me. Right. How can you be 18 and starting a company? You're not <laughs> old enough yet. You have to wait in line. Wait your turn. Exactly. I was more concerned about getting on a plane in my math class, let alone having employees and let al <laughs> all of that. And probably it was around February of my sophomore year. There is this individual who lived on my hallway and we just he had a company that he sold in high school and he had an idea surrounding the uncertainty of cryptocurrency, which inevitably fell back in 2017. And he was beginning this new idea that surrounded vid video first dating. And we just began chatting, and one thing led to another a few hours later, and the sun rising up in the morning, we had an idea that we thought was going to solve a problem and be a company. And then what happened? And then me and this individual, we went on to find a third co-founder who was a female at Brown University down in Rhode Island, and we embarked on a bunch of YouTube tutorials onto how to start a company with the broad word of that access. And fortunately for us, we were surrounded by great faculty at Babson that was able to provide us some light to the whole sector and some guidance as far as next steps. So that summer the following the idea, so the summer of 2018, we went set out to go to San Francisco, embarked on a 10-week accelerator program ran by 500 startups and we went from having no idea what a company was to having a little bit better of a grasp in a sense of forming a c-corp creating a board of advisors what a investment deck looks like understanding market size and putting together a competitive landscape and at the end of the 10 weeks we had our investment pitch and almost a beta product of what we wanted 
at a very V1 or a, what we thought we wanted because as a you start a company, you have no idea what the product is going to look like until you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was just a broader range journey of bringing the concept from inception to flourishing. And so it's still rolling now. The company is still rolling today. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, in March of 2020, I made the difficult decision that as a junior in college, I needed to take a step back from the company and no longer be an operator on a day-to-day basis. Gotcha. So let's let's dive into your college experience. And back in the high school, you were a lacrosse athlete. When did you start playing? How did you get into lacrosse? Uh, I'm a big fan of lacrosse. I call it land hockey. <laughs> there's contact. You've got to be in shape, head on a swivel. There's skill acquisition that's important. And it's, it's gaining popularity out here on the West Coast, even though if you want to play collegiately, you're going to go east of the Mississippi predominantly. Definitely. I was actually amongst the first cohorts of lacrosse players to come out of the South Bay. I was walking with my dad in third grade, which is probably 2006 in Manhattan Beach. And I came across this guy who had a trash can full of lacrosse sticks. He drove across the whole country from Maryland to L.A. and was handing these lacrosse sticks out to any either young man with a ring on his finger who looked like he might have a son or to any little kid saying, I'm hosting a clinic at Hermosa Valley next weekend. Here's a free lacrosse stick. Come through. And then what happened? I fell in love with the game. It was it was a difficult road. Lacrosse is a game that stems from Native American origins. It's called the medicine game. And as you mentioned earlier, it's brutal. There's a lot of physicality in it. And growing up within the South Bay, especially as a guy, everyone grows at different levels. You find yourself in seventh grade being four foot seven playing the six foot year old seventh grader and you're you're put to test of how you ain't overcome this adversity. What's, what sports did you participate in before you transitioned to lacrosse? Yeah, I played basketball, soccer, flag football, and baseball. But baseball, I quit when I was in third grade to go to lacrosse. And once you went to lacrosse, that was it? There was no going back. The combination of skill to speed to size to and most importantly just stick skills you that was like the one thing that since i was a lot smaller growing up that was within my control i wasn't able to control how tall i was or when i would grow or for that matter how strong i was because i wasn't weightlifting in middle school but everything as far as passing with your right hand and left hand and learning all the skills behind it and how an offense works and where to be and when to do it and how the mechanics of a shot were. There was so much in my control that I knew if I wasn't successful, it was because I wasn't putting enough time into it. And when you started to play competitively for your club and went to tournaments, was it something that you got deeper committed to and enjoyed the competition? Oh, fully. I started I remember my freshman year of high school, I flew out to Boston, funny enough, for my first ever real competitive lacrosse tournament. And I remember being shell-shocked of, whoa, 
this is how the game is meant to be played because everything that I've seen is from California where the coaching wasn't at the time wasn't at an equal playing ground as the East Coast but I fell in love with the sport right from the get-go so advanced in time now you're at Loyola High School and they've got a pretty strong lacrosse program if I'm not mistaken and what was that experience like for you there my experience at Loyola was nothing short of spectacular. I went into it with a lot of the guys that I played club lacrosse with. Uh, I think it was like 12 or 13 guys, and it was fantastic. We would spend our mornings as a 14-year-old or 13-year-old freshman in high school waking up at 5 a.m., driving from or getting carpooled from Manhattan Beach to downtown Los Angeles, getting on the field before there's light out and we didn't even have lights on the field. So we'd spend the first 45 minutes conditioning or trying to learn how to pass when you can't even look at each other because it's so dark out. And from there, I just created this lifelong brotherhood with 13 guys on my team in my grade. And at first, Loyola wasn't recognized as a powerhouse, let alone in LA, let alone Orange County, LA, Southern California. And we took that to heart and I, our junior year, we just began to dominate all of us, really bought into the program and figured out what we wanted and how we were gonna do it. And we took charge and that resulted in me and my team going to back-to-back -back champions in 2016 and 2017. Fantastic, so in addition to you, how many of your teammates went on to play collegiately? In my grade, I think it was five or six others. That's pretty impressive. What it, schools did they go to? Definitely. Uh, Air Force Academy, University of Maryland, Univer or Syracuse University, Boston University, Tufts University, and I believe that's it. That's pretty impressive. Upon entry at Babson, what was the program like there compared to where you were coming from in Loyola? It was different. Although Babson was made up of premier East Coast lacrosse players from the top tier traditional boarding schools, it wasn't a winning culture as I was accustomed to at Loyola, where we were seeking out championships within California and being nationally ranked I was going to a school where they never won a conference championship since 1979 so it was different in a sense of going from national recognition to just wanting to win a conference championship so what were some of your highlights and most challenging times as a collegiate athlete at Babson as you're trying to bring the program up a couple levels yeah I began off going on a personal level and it was right around September of my freshman year. Our off season is called fall ball. And especially coming from California, I began at the lowest totem pole on the whole roster. And within those first like few weeks, I was beginning to get in a groove and I faced my like first ever injury within a college sport and had a uh, stage three ankle sprain. Ouch which fully took me out of everything, lifting, sprinting, playing. And at first I thought it was, this is the worst thing that might happen. Although I was recruited, I might get cut. 
but it allowed me to take a step back and observe everything going on and see how these players who were fortunate enough to go to the top tier boarding school prep schools and see how they played and how they saw the field so i was able to zone back and view everything from a third party perspective which paid dividends down the road for my game so great time to ask the question when you had this breakdown and now you're trying to get the most out of your time turn it into a breakthrough you're off the pitch you can't train what kinds of things did you pick up from watching these guys that you could put into your toolbox to use to your advantage when you return to the team yeah the number one thing was spacing and letting the game come to you in high school it's very much clustered you take the ball you just run with it and you try to force things to let it happen because you're trying to get recruited in college you've already made it now it's the time where you want to win and while i was watching everyone i remember watching the seniors just take their time just take a step back get the 10 15 yards before they initiate a dodge which is when you go one-on-one -on -one with your defender like in basketball and then from there i remember watching players running down the side of the field called the alley beating their player and watching the second defender slide to them and see how they took a step back and just viewed the whole field and from that moment that would determine what their next decision would be whether they try forcing a pass over to find a new shooter if they want to roll and catch the other defender off guard to get a better angle to shoot so it was just watching how players reacted to what was going on in college because the game was so fast at first so when you were healthy and then you returned what was that next phase like for you did you earn yourself an opportunity to play and did you use some of that was that a combination of a vision and patience to create that spacing that you were mentioning yeah so i went from coming back in january six weeks before my game our first game and the first week i barely got any reps in practice the coach is like you just came back from an injury you're already on the lowest part of the totem pole you won't get a shot and then i began working my way up week two getting a few reps here and there kind of on the third line and then week three we had a scrimmage that saturday and I was getting a little bit more reps, made it up to like the last spot on second line. And within that game, I had in that scrimmage, I had four goals, which was awesome out of a freshman. No one was expecting it. And two out of my four goals was strictly from watching what I did in the fall of I would beat my man, take that step back, see what was happening. And then I would react and I just rolled behind and just took a shot from 12 yards because I knew that the defender was going to be the opposite way. Gotcha. So as time went on, just give us some color on freshman year, sophomore year, playing time, how things went for the team, and, and some of your, your highest achievements yeah. as a collegiate athlete. Freshman year was a very, very good start for me. I finished the year as number one on my team, or number one out of the midfield in points. I think I had like 22 goals and 11 assists. But as a team, we fell short of our goal and lost in the semifinals of our conference championship. My sophomore year, I 
fell into the innate habit of the sophomore slump, feeling as though that I earned my time my freshman year and being comfortable or allowed me to not work as hard as I previously did. And that was a good learning point for me as far as it's not enough to be at the top. You have to work twice as hard to stay at the top. And that sophomore year, same thing, lost in the semifinals of the conference championship. Junior year, worked extremely hard and recognized the fault that I did the previous year of not preparing enough. And I was on pace to have a pretty good year. And then COVID happened. And I remember the night before our first game, everyone's canceling their season, the Ivy Leagues. Like, we're not playing. A few other other yard members, JP Riley and Blake Beers, were in a group chat talking about our spring seasons. And the next morning, 8 a.m., our coach was like, get on the bus. Let's go up there before they, ca- before they try to cancel the game. And little did I know that game that day was going to be the last game that I would play with those seniors on the team, which really impacted my season. And then come to this up past year, it was my senior year, a bunch of challenges as everything in the world, nothing was normal, let alone college and even further to that college athletics. There was so much uncertainty within our team as far as our practices were with 10 people, non-contact, wearing masks, and you you weren't even playing lacrosse. You were just on the field, running around in circles, maintaining social distance. And as a senior, like, this is a waste. I'd rather be hanging out with my friends or doing something else because there's no way that we're going to play. And I lived in a house with four other seniors and we're like we just gotta stick it out we gotta see what happens this spring get back from winter break so morale morale was super challenging there was a lot of uncertainty training had a big question mark around it skill acquisition was limited you could you couldn't do anything with the full squad so did you rotate around with these <coughs> leaders that were seniors getting energy and juice and people trying to keep everything going and and how was that what was that like yeah we were very reliant on one another there's only so much that a coach could do when there's so much uncertainty and it's just human nature as being a 22 year old in college everyone has their ups and downs every day Mm -hmm. so you're reliant on your brothers to bring the enthusiasm on an off day that you have and then you're forced to bring it on an off day that your friend's having so that's the good thing about lacrosse let alone sports everyone's trying to bring one another up so how did things turn out for you guys senior season senior season was awesome for awesome at the end tough at first our first three games got canceled because of covid if one person out of the each team has 50 players plus a few coaches. So if one player out of 105 people get COVID, the game's done. First three games, done. Fourth game, we drove <laughs> we went we drove to a game and it was walking on the field was the excitement that I felt like when I was in third grade. You're just brought back to like this is awesome. Not many people get the opportunity to do what I'm doing right you now. You appreciate the little things, all the things that you take for granted. Don't want to go to practice. Don't want to train. 
there's a party to go to. I need my rest. I'm sore. I got homework, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, you're back to being a six-year-old kid again, first time playing lacrosse. It's game time. <laughs> and we went on. We won those three games. We steamrolled our uh, semifinal game. And for the first time in, I think it was six to eight years, we were in our conference championship at Coast Guard Academy. Huge underdogs in the game. And we ended up winning, I think it was 13 to eight. And we won our conference championship and went to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1979. Wow. Which was arguably one of the best feelings me and my friends have ever had in our entire life. And also personal acknowledgement for the season. Yeah, I went on and I was first team all conference. I was brought to the where I was invited to the USIL All-American game. And I was an academic All-American, too. So it was a pretty terrific way to end my collegiate athletic career. Fantastic. Well done by you. So as many people know, this just didn't happen. If you can go through a couple pivotal people in your life that influenced you, good or bad, coaches that created some belief in, in yourself, that would be fantastic to get into that. Yeah, I mean, first things first, you got to give gratitude to the pr parents. My mom and dad were ultra supportive of allowing their kid to play a game that no one else within the area even knew. Super expensive. You have to buy a stick, a helmet. Who does that in California? No one. So I wouldn't be where I am without a, my parents providing me the opportunity to play the game that I did. And then the second acknowledgement I'd love to get would be the man that handed me the lacrosse stick on the strand, Scott Hockstad, someone that I'm extremely close with today and was a pivotal part of encouraging me to stick with the sport that I'll eventually grow and that I'll get my opportunity and helped me see Babson College because if it wasn't for him, I would have never found that small school in Boston. And how long was he your coach? He was my coach from third grade through high school. Wow. Yeah. That's great that you still maintain a relationship with him. As you were on your journey in middle school and in high school, were there coaches or faculty or, or figures that you ran into that um, created some connection, some energy, some belief in yourself that stand out to you? Definitely. And – one of those guys, he still lives out here in Hermosa Beach. He was one of my first shooting coaches. His name's Rob Zappo. He moved out here from Baltimore, Maryland, had the long hair, great shooting stroke, and he was one of the first guys to teach me. I met him like when I was already beginning to reach my like uh, reach my like stretch as far as beginning to understand the game and getting improving. So I was beginning to like have that flow and that charisma and that not in that positive ego of being like I could play. And he took me a step back as no coach did at that time. It was like, you need to learn the mechanics. And I thought I already did. And he really made he's like, you have to dominate it. And then from that point on, it stayed with me to where I am today. Like if you can't do the basic things really, really well and explain it so a third grader can understand you, you don't know it well enough. 
So that's something that I hold true today. For people that haven't played lacrosse or experienced it, what's so special or what's so unique that you could take away from participating in lacrosse that you can't get in a dozen other team sports that kids just walk into without thought? Yeah. You're walking onto a field where only 10 people play, but there's 40 guys on the bench. And it's 20 degrees outside, and you're getting hit, and it sucks. But that just demonstrates the camaraderie of the sport. It's the fastest game on two feet. There's so much energy. You're constantly going up and down the field. And it's a skill game. It's not like football, not taking away skill from football, but you have this stick that is so easy. The ball could so easily fall out. If someone just picks up this stick, they could tell. And you have to be able to cradle it, two hands, one hand, switch to your left. There's so much creativity involved too as far as what you're able to do when the ball's on the floor you're able to hit it like a hockey stick with a puck to try to get around someone to scoop it better you're able to kick the ball you're able to shoot the ball behind your back there's just endless possibilities so no matter how good you get there is always something that you could work on is the game lacrosse done with you or do you plan on staying with it playing for a club coaching or tethering yourself and, and giving something back to the sport that brought you all this joy and fame. Yeah, I definitely want to maintain my foothold within the sport. As you mentioned, the game gave me so much to it. There's only, I hope that I could give equally, if not equally, maybe half as much as it gave me that I could give to it. Whether that be coaching rec, I love teaching new players the game. But unfortunately, I think my playing days are long gone for the foreseeable future. And the foreseeable future for you, what's next? What are you looking to do with your career? What interests do you have outside of the job space? What are your passions? What are your hobbies right now? Yeah. As I've been progressing through my career, I definitely want to continue doing a great job at what I'm doing now and really understanding the space of venture capital as I did with lacrosse of doing it so well that I could explain to a third grader so they can understand. So that's it on the professional front. And then as far as like the personal physical front, I'm trying to figure out what's next. I've taken a few months off from playing a collegiate sport. I've played organized sports my whole life. So it's figuring out what I'm going to train for in the coming months and years. I haven't decided what it might be yet, but it might be something along the lines of jujitsu and or marathon training or squat-tober starting in a few weeks or days. Outstanding. You provided a nice, easy segue for me. I appreciate this. How do you take your experience from lacrosse from six or seven years old to now into your daily battles and challenges in the workspace when you're learning things that are taking you a, quite a while to solve and there's people around you on your team that you can lean into. You're figuring things out. You're a competitive person by nature and a hard worker. So we both believe that it's very important to participate in team sports so that you can do what with that now. Yeah. 
I think sport instilled in me overcoming adversity. And now, and you're also confronted to people speaking to you in loud tones with not very nice words. So there's not, there hasn't been anything I've heard in the professional setting that has come even half as close as to what I heard on the field. So I have some tough skin now that's allowed me to wipe that off my shoulders and just move on. And then as far as understanding complex problems that I'm previously that I'm unfamiliar with the game of lacrosse is you got to work at it you're not just gonna one day work it out and figure it out unless you put the time in and a lot of people I feel like they forget that translation when they go into whatever professional sector they want to they're just gonna go in and clock in nine to five and call it a day after but if you truly want to excel, you got to do the same thing that you did in those sports. You got to be the first one in, the last one to leave, and putting in those extra hours to compensate for where you're not as good. Great advice. If you could go back in time to your 13-year-old Bronson entering Loyola High School, because there might be some young hoppers out there that are listening, what advice would you give yourself? when you're starting out as your as a high school athlete yeah time is on your side I remember being 13 and being super mad at myself for not growing because I saw all my friends suddenly spurt to be six feet and making the club teams and while I was getting cut from those teams and I was just ultra frustrated things weren't working out I never thought I'd be that good and I would never get to that size but time is on your side although they might have grown now you're forced to gain a new skill set so that you can compete so don't be deterred by other people control what you can control and control yourself do the best you can with what you have right exactly outstanding so with these things understood what are some far-reaching lofty goals that you've got some bucket list things for yourself that you want to check off in your life yeah. So that's a good question. First off, I'd like to travel a lot more. I've, as you know, like being a college athlete, you're not able to, you're not given the luxurious time off that your friends do. So I don't, I wasn't able to study abroad or see the world outside of the scope of my small Massachusetts school. So I would like to go travel places where I've only seen pictures of previously. And those top three places for you are? Number one is Iceland. Iceland. Number two is Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. And number three is Santorini. And Santorini. That would be quite a trip if you get it all three in the same journey. That would be a crazy trip. So why Iceland? What fascinates you about Iceland? I've just heard that it's like one of the most beautiful places to go. The people there are the happiest people in the world, apparently. And I've seen pictures of the northern lights that look awesome. I don't know. I'm just super infatuated by the concept of going to Iceland. I haven't looked into what the local cuisine is, but I want to know why people there are so happy and what they do to preserve why it's so beautiful. I'm right there with you. I'd love to go there. And there's a lot. They eat a lot of fish there. Should we plan a trip? 100%, yep. And um, Iceland, as you know, is green, and Greenland is full of ice. 
and perhaps the wise oracles that selected those names did so for a reason so people would stay away and they would be at peace and now the world is traveling to Iceland and Sydney Australia why Sydney Australia seems like a great place is it the opera house on the water because that's the picture that everybody sees <laughs> that's definitely a landmark that I would see while I'm down there also it's a good time to go it's winter here it's summer over there Along with that, everyone there is super happy. They they take very firm control of keeping their area very clean and keeping it green and they're pr very progressive thinking. I'd love to see the sugarcane toad, the invasive species destroying the area, maybe kick a few. And then along with that, just go around the outback, see some kangaroos, see some wildlife, just have fun. And Santorini. Santorini. Just beautiful pictures. All my friends that have studied abroad, they've only spoken extremely highly of it. And the whole landscape, the people, fully different culture, different language. There's just a lot going on there. Sounds like a great plan. Those are wonderful places to go to, and, and I hope you see them sooner than later. As far as your legacy on your tombstone and what you're going to leave leave behind you what are some important things that you want to accomplish and and check off in your life and i know you've got a long road ahead and a lot of real estate you you've barely started to scratch the surface and still carve some marks into stone what do you think about right now yeah i know what i want to do is i want to <coughs> leave it better than i found it and the way I do that is that's uh, that sounds so good and, and people are using it to the point where it's losing air. Well, what, what does that mean to you? I just want to impact people in a sense of I was able to provide them happiness, laughter and opportunity that impacted their life so substantially that they were able to do something else that they want to pursue. So whether that be mean impacting one person or impacting a hundred, I think I'd get the same sense of gratification in either scale. I guess if you want to stay close to the RP clan leadership, then, then you've got to do that. Exactly. Stay in the graces. Speaking of which, I think there's a, there's a quote that needs to go down on wax that you mentioned about our good friend Mr. Parks. In the in the unique blend that he provided to you and and, uh, and I'm gonna let you share it it had something to do with him being able to pivot from a wise soul to a toddler instantaneously yeah our good friend Ryan Parks has grown exponentially over the past few years and one of the m most intelligent people I've known but uh he has the ability of transitioning conversation from being ultra sophisticated and discussing complex issues or talking about something over my head to dumbing it down and just having a great conversation and just being able to flip that switch in social awareness when things might get too serious to lighten the mood. That must be why you guys keep him around. <laughs> so your your friend group is pretty tight. People that you've known from elementary school and middle school are still part of your inner circle. 
are there a couple people from your college team, obviously, that have entered in and are part of that unit at this point? They are, but not at the same extent. Mm -hmm. It's difficult because <coughs> all my friends from school are still in Boston and New York, and all my friends from home are mostly in L.A., so they've only crossed paths a few times. But I know if the more they hang out, the more they'll love each other. Something interesting that I want you to reflect on is in the past couple of years, and in my opinion, you had part of the best of times stolen from you when you were at school and things headed in a direction where people became disconnected in a real physical way. A lot of the work that you do and the people that you work with, your company, your team, you haven't even met in person. And much or almost all of what you do is on Zoom through systems. So if you could dive into that a little bit and then also create some, some opportunities and things that you feel are important to really bring people together in and outside of the workspace. Love yeah. to hear it. Yeah, it's been extremely difficult. I've met two people out of the seven to 10 that I work with Wow. only once. It's unimaginable to me. And it's so weird texting someone and you've never seen their face or how tall they are or what their like physical movements are, if they make eye contact, what do they do? But uh, I love I think I try to get on voice call more than video call. Cause I think in video call people are a lot tenser if it's not like a presentation or anything. A voice call, you get the more genuine thoughts because you're avoiding the whole Zoom. You're not worried about what background you are. You're not distracted if your cat is making a noise or if your mom's banging on your door because you're in a childhood bedroom. So I just try to curate ways that I could just talk to people and they're not worried about other things. They could just be focused in the moment. You just begin conversing that way. You a cat person? Do you have a cat? No, I'm really allergic. I'm a Understood. dog guy. I, I appreciate that, and I'm hearing it from all sides. Zoom all the time. FaceTime all the time. Do this. Text. I think that you're right. I'm right. Everyone's right in the sense that any kind of live interaction, conversation, vibrations, seeing, first thing is if you can get time in person, that's the best thing. A live call whenever possible is super important. And some wise souls recently have told me that more than ever in their lives are they identifying and noticing that people are really desperate and really searching for, for human connection and for relationships and for that that interaction and that feedback because of what has happened. There are a lot of people that are stuck. Definitely. The best way to meet someone or to go off of that and to begin building relationships when they're feeling very alone, I think you have to begin with your family, begin with the core group of people that you were previously surrounded by. And instead of trying to create new relationships, rekindle the relationships that you previously had because right now there's so many restrictions of where you could go what you could do take this time and build that bridge of what was previously broken 
for you, since you took us down this rabbit hole, what was the darkest, ugliest, nastiest, hardest time for you in the last two years? Last two years. It would probably be in March of my senior year. Me and my friends got COVID. We got infected. We were the reason why our lacrosse game for that week was canceled. And there was a sense of not only are we sick and this sucks, but we let down others on our team and the team that we were playing against. As a collective, us five let down a hundred people because we weren't taking the precautionary actions that we should have. So that was probably the darkest time in the past two years for me. So if we go back to that moment in time, what did you do? How did you how did you turn that around to create a positive out of it so you can change the trajectory of where you were? Yeah. Fortunately for us, we had 10 days to reflect on our decisions in a household isolation. But uh, for us, it was all, all of us were leaders on the team. All of us played a critical role in our respective positions. So it was figuring out how to maintain engagement with the team while we were remote. So it would be the little things of sending people little texts, like saying like, hey, have a great or like, have a great practice today where I watched the film, tried doing this. And then it was also a mid-season torch handoff to some juniors and sophomores that proved themselves and saying, I'm not going to be here for 10 days. It's your turn to step up. And that's what they did. That's why you got to stay ready, folks. And looking back on it on hindsight, it could be better that you guys had it when you did. You can move forward instead of having to dance and avoid raindrops as many people have driven themselves crazy, not knowing, did I have it? Am I going to get it? What's going to happen? So you got it. Your teammates shared it, and everybody moved on. Exactly. Did it? Was anybody really ill, or you guys went through it pretty quickly? We were fine. I didn't lose any taste or smell. It was just a few days of fatigue, but overall, felt fine after. What did you guys do to kill the time that you can share? We watched a lot of movies. Before that, I never watched Lord of the Rings and or the Harry Potter series. So that killed a lot of time. That killed a lot of time and some good dreams from that. Oh, yeah. On that note, I'd like to thank you for taking your time, opening yourself up, and providing some colorful stories for everybody, some inspiration, some excitement. The fact that you have lifted yourself up out of the South Bay bubble and gone to school on the right coast, cultured yourself, explored some opportunities, and now you've propelled your position to be in a great opportunity for higher learning and more networking, as you've done so well. Appreciate the time. Good luck to you. And we'll stay in touch as your adventure continues in San Francisco. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.